0: your first time at Victory, we act like this all the time. So we have a great time. Don't sit down yet. Don't don't sit down yet. We're not done. All right. uh, We're going to have a dance off up here in front. I'm just teasing. This is uh, the final message in the series called Say It. And as I was prepping for this, I remembered that 1980s tune um, that was by a band called The Fix. How many of you remember that? Sort of dating ourselves here a little bit i got to get you a little groove on this morning in, in, in 11 o'clock service at Victory. Uh, but I really, really resonated with the words of this thing because it's about the inconsistency of somebody saying one thing and doing something else and how that really relates to this message that we've been talking about and say it. And so I'm going to connect that in just a moment. Let me get you with the text. We're going to read it together and I'll let you get seated. So let's, let's find our text this morning. Here we go. Let's read together. Everybody, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. The Apostle Paul is quoting the Old Testament book of Psalms 116 where the writer said, I believed, therefore I have spoken. So what is in our heart comes out of our mouths. And so today, that's our series text that we've been doing all month long. We have a real short one today for the message that you probably already know. So let's read it out loud. Here we go. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is one time where I believe the King James, because of our familiarity with it, really probably is clearer. You've, you've heard it this way. Faith without works is what? Say it again. Faith without works is dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you show us how all of life is connected, the thoughts we think, the words we speak, the actions that we do. Our belief and our behavior is inextricably woven together. Lord, we thank you that though the law says behave and doesn't give us the ability to do it, the gospel is different in that it comes and merely says believe, But it gives us the grace, the power, the unction of the Holy Spirit to see a transformed life. And God so today, we're grateful for the gospel. We're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for the cross that He hung on. We're grateful for the penalty of sin, the power of sin that was broken, the penalty of of sin that was paid. I just acknowledge my utter need for You. I can't do anything apart from You. Jesus, I thank You that through You I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give us hearing ears and seeing eyes. We'll be careful to give you all the praise. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray and everybody said. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. As you go down the seat, tell somebody, one thing leads to another. All right. So we've been doing this series called Say It, and I've I've really been trying to boil down the message into one thing each week. And so I want to give you just a one-sentence review. And then I really, I'm not going to teach a lot today. This this message today will be more inspirational than it will be informational, okay? And that's intentional because we've been teaching, teaching, teaching all month long, and I want to give some application and show you how this has worked in my own life, okay? So our one things from message number one was belief in the heart is activated by words in the mouth. Say that with me. Belief in the heart is activated by words in the mouth. Number two, words are containers that carry power-producing messages. Say it with me. Words are containers that carry power-producing messages. Remember the illustration I said Apple? Some of you saw Green Granny Smith. Some of you saw Washington Red. Some of you saw the company that makes these things. Apple, okay, because it creates an image. Okay, number three, impossible things become possible when a group of people believes and says the same thing. Say it with me. Impossible things become possible when a group of people believes and says the same thing. When a group believes it and says it, then something happens. It's the power of unity that we preached on last week. So that's our review in one minute. And then our one thing today is very simply the message title, One Thing Leads to Another. Say it with me one more time. One Thing Leads to Another. I want to jump in. I really would like to take time. I did in the first message and I gave the context of this quote of faith by itself, if by itself without works is dead and it took a little too long so I'm shaving a little bit trying to make an adjustment in this second message this morning but the the context is found in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 and I read that and made some comments and so just safe to say James is dealing primarily with the issue of faith and works and how those two things intersect. We came out of a period of Christianity that was referred to as the Dark Ages, um, that was really steeped in tradition much, 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 much more so than it was in biblical orthodoxy, in the revelation of scripture. And almost 500 years ago, just think about this, in two years, in 2017, it will be 500 years from when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church door in 1517. I think we're living in a really, really moment of powerful prophetic transition. Um, It's, I I believe, like I talked last Sunday about how every generation, we have a hundred year flood in the natural. There's also a revival of the Holy Spirit that shakes nations and people get an opportunity to see and turn their hearts to the Lord. I also believe that that about every 500 years we have this major, not, not only in, matter of fact, three three years ago when the Mississippi River flooded, they thought it was going to be a 500 year flood, and it was right at the mark, because they were concerned about where that levee was going to hold. And I was thinking how the timeliness of that was so unique, because we're sitting here just three years out at the time, from 500 year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation really wrestled down um, one big idea, and that was salvation and how it comes, how we receive it, whether we acquire it by working for it or whether we receive it as a gift. And so the, the crux of the matter is fought in wrestling down how we synchronize these concepts of faith and works, and you really kind of have a spectrum where faith on one side, if it's in an extreme form without any kind of works at all, becomes easy believism, where you just sort of believe whatever you want to and your life doesn't show it, your life doesn't match your lip in any kind of way at all. And uh, there, there are Christians that have been in a very legalistic kind of background, and many times, instead of arriving at a place of balance, sometimes God lets us let the pendulum swing the pendulum of extremes. God is not afraid of extremes because sometimes in order to show us an appreciation for the balance, we've been in one extreme and he'll let us swing to the other side for a little while to go, okay, wait a minute, I got to find a place of balance here and where the word is. And so on one side, we've got faith that is easy believism. And then on the other side, we have this very, very arduous, laboring, works-based kind of system that hopes that when you get to heaven that that God will sort of be like the butcher and put his thumb on the the scale for you and sort of weigh your good works in your favor, so to speak, so that you can get in heaven's gate. And um, really, that's not anywhere near gospel truth whatsoever. And it was that kind of an idea that seemed to dominate throughout what was the thousand years of the Dark Ages, from about 500 A.D. up till about 1500 A.D. And God had actually been moving in generations in the 1300s, 1400s, with, with a notable men and women of God who had a conviction of the Holy Spirit to set things up for what was going to happen in the 1500s. And so I think it's pretty cool when we start to talk about these two things here, we must realize this is what Luther said 500 years ago. This is my first point. Faith is about roots and fruits. Say it with me. Faith and works. It's about roots and fruits. Okay. So the, the root of the tree is the foundation. It 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 grounds the tree into substance. It it holds it into the ground when the winds blow. Uh, the the coldness of winter and the 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 stark stark reality of a drought will drive the roots of a tree down deeper. And many times those circumstances are what strengthen it in order to be able to bear fruit in the next fruit bearing season in, in the summer, in the spring, in the summertime. And so. We, like trees, go through experiences in our lives of, of seasons, of, of great times of fruit bearing, and sometimes it's, it's a cold, hard winter uh, wind that is blowing in our lives, and it looks, seems like the judgment of God is coming, and leaves are falling, and there's no fruit on the trees, and it's gloomy outside, and there's no sunshine. But while that's happening in your life, if you'll let the Spirit of God pull the roots down deeper, then you'll bear more fruit and have more beautiful leaves come next spring because God brings us through these seasons in our lives, okay? And so the tree of faith has the, uh, the, the root system of faith, but then the works are the fruits that are hanging out here on the branches, okay? The, the, the fruit does not produce the root. The root produces the fruit, Now that's very simple and common sense, but I want you to grasp that. Faith is the root, works are the fruit. Luther said it this way, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. What that means is, faith alone saves you, but true Bible-believing faith is going to have an action, a corresponding action that comes with it. Because faith without works is what? Dead. We've learned that, okay? Point number two. So as we move quickly through this, this morning, I want you to see how this whole one thing leads to another concept. We express to progress. Say that with me. Express to progress. So if we're going to move from one place, if we're going to put it in this culture's terms, take it to the next level. If you're in a relationship, you two single people and you're feeling like God is calling you to marriage and and you really want to have one of those kind of relationship checks, conversations, then you basically have to sit down and have a conversation and say, this is where my heart is, where is yours, are we on the same path, Are, are we anywhere near together? And you have to take the risk, you have to express to progress. You have to believe it in your heart, what's already moving and working in your heart, in terms of being united with this person, then you begin to put it into words and you take your thoughts to the next level of speaking. And then, ultimately, that speaking has to be carried out into action where he goes and asks your dad, can he have your hand in marriage? And you, he surprises you with a ring and he gets on one knee and he says, will you be my wife for the rest of my life? And those happy moments that we get to see and enjoy are the culmination of because somebody took it to the next level. They expressed to progress, okay? Now, there is a, there is a quote in your notes, um, and if you'll look there, this, this one I, I picked up about 25 years ago and don't remember the source, and even at the time it was unknown, it was an anonymous quote. Um, it really expresses what we call the biblical idea of seed time and harvest, the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, Genesis 1 gives us that beautiful example, that within every seed-bearing plant, there is the encoded written DNA of God that d- guarantees that when you plant that tomato, you don't reap potatoes. <laughs> this is the way Granny used to say, son, you plant maters and you don't get taters. <laughs> and so there, there is, there's a code, there's a DNA, that you, you, it's, everything pre- reproduces after its own kind. Galatians, Paul says it this way. He says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. Reap. Okay, so it's the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. And so we understand that what we sow, we reap. And so this quote that's in your notes there says, sow a thought, reap a what? Action. Action. (laughs) Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a Character. 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 Sow a character, reap a destiny. So it all starts with, it starts with a thought. It starts with a thought in my mind. I make a choice. I choose. I'm thinking about something. I entertain the idea. I express to progress. I take it to the next level because one thing leads to another. And if I'm going to be taken seriously in any area of my life, in relationships, with people, in your finances, in Jobs, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a visionary, if you're building a business, whatever you're doing, if you're going to be taken seriously, you have to learn to be consistent. Christians need consistency more than they need anything else. God, give us, grant us grace to be people who will follow through with our commitment. If we say we will be there, then we show up and not just on time, but with a good attitude. Come on, somebody, don't shout me down now. We should do that. We should be people of our word. Okay? So we express to progress. One thing leads to another. Sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit. If, we, if I keep making that decision on what I'm thinking and I'm expressing to progress, a, a thought becomes an action, an action becomes a habit. I keep on doing it. That habit builds a character. The character that I'm sowing begins to build a destiny. And then when I'm gone, I'm going to leave a legacy because I've shown that life to people and they, they see that. Now, there's a progression that's clearly in the scripture and I've got a little chart here that's in your notes and I want to put up on the screen because you see this. this is, these are areas where we are tempted, these are areas where we express ideas, begin to communicate them, we express to progress and then we carry those ideas into fruition and we begin to do actions and do deeds. So thought, word and deed, those are the areas where the enemy tempts you. Those are the areas if the enemy can distract you and tempt you and lure you with a stray thought or um, some PYT, that's another 80s terminology, pretty young thing is what that means, crosses your path, you know, it's it's one thing to glance, it's some, it's a, you start sinning when you do the double take and you keep looking, okay? A glance is not a sin, how many of you know that, okay? But it's the... My, 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 that's when you're starting to, you know, whatever, wherever it goes from there. Okay, we'll leave that part alone. Now, it's one thing to think it, it's something else to talk about it. And this is where you know you've begun to express, to progress. You're taking something to the next level. This is where I believe real friends are there to help us because they hear the words that are coming out of our mouths. And sometimes we don't really pay, even pay attention to the things that we're saying. And nothing will reveal the contents of your heart more quickly than the words of your mouth. If you want to know what somebody's thinking, just be quiet long enough to let them talk. Matter of fact, don't be the first one to break the silence. Just wait. People will open up and tell you things. Oh, my goodness. There must be a sign on my forehead that says, please meet me in Walmart and tell me the last 30 years of your history. I don't know what it is. I just have a friendly face, I guess. People just tell me stuff, and I'm going, do you want to tell that? (laughs) And, and, And I just think it's a good thing for us to realize that along the way, God gives us some red flags. He gives us some dummy signals on the dashboard of our souls. It's like the temperature meter there on your radiator, and it's red. God's giving you a red flag because... If, there, if, if you're thinking and you're bitter and you're resentment and you've got some anger and you start hearing it come out in the tone of your mouth, then somebody draws the attention to it and says, are you okay? You just really sound like you're on edge. That's when you should go, okay, the, the, the thermometer on my radiator is a little bit high. I probably need to get some coolant put into my engine. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You know, and, 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 and when you realize that you start talking about something, if you keep talking about it long enough, what are you going to end up doing? It'll become a what? A deed. You'll, it'll bear fruit. It'll begin to bear fruit. And, and, and this is what I believe, that God shows us roots and fruits, also even in sin issues and thought, word, and deed. If I think about it, it's one level of sin. Now, all sin is not the same. I know you've heard that your whole life, but that's not biblical. First of all, uh, all sins in the Old Testament didn't even have the same level of penalty. Now, all sin is the same in that it separates us from God, that that is true. But all sin is not exactly identical. How many of you women would much rather realize that your husband faithfully fights the thought battle in his mind rather than to find out that his name is on the Ashley Madison list? Yeah, I said that in church on Sunday morning. I'll be honest with you we were sitting at a men's meeting thursday morning and it came up and a couple of men from the community said three pages from west memphis and there's two pages from marion and i said i don't know where it is i don't even know how to find it uh and i've i've wondered if i should check it just to see if there are parishioners that i should be checking on this week and i said you know i just don't even want to know because i don't want to look at anybody differently and he said well you probably shouldn't because there's people in there you know i said just please tell me, are the leaders of our church, are they okay? <laughs> they said, we're okay, Pastor Michael. I said, Shh. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm not kidding. Um, and before any of us rises up with some kind of self-righteousness, somebody put you, some of you got black belts in self-righteousness. Just put them down. <laughs> You need to realize that every one of us is already on a website list, and it's called the website of hell. And Jesus is the heavenly hacker who hacked into it, and he set you free and pulled your name out of the website of hell. Come on. And if we're really truthful, there's not a person in the room who could recognize they could be in that same situation. And if you're really truthful, maybe you have been and just hadn't gotten caught. It's quiet in here, but it's right. And maybe we need to really have a come-to-Jesus moment where we feel some true conviction. Let the Holy Spirit repent, cause us to repent. Because there are stages. God gives us. It's one thing to think it. It's another level to say it. It's something entirely different to do it. I might think it. I may even talk about it. I may even say words that I shouldn't say. But getting involved in the action is another level. And depending on where you are and what kind of commitments you have, what kind of leadership you have, what kind of relationship covenant you have, whether you're married or not, then you've just involved other people in that level of sin. And so thought becomes word, becomes deed. One thing leads to another. So you've got to recognize that this thing flows. Now, it's not just negative, it's not just the wrong word in the right ear, as the song says, okay? It's the right word in the right ear. Do what they say, say what they mean, one thing leads to another. This second line, everybody say it with me. Believe, speak, act. That's the positive proclamation of my trust in God's ability to do what He said He would do. Our God is a God of integrity. Thank God He is a merciful God. Thank God He loves the people even that are on the Ashley Madison list this morning. That He will forgive. Forgiveness is free. It's a gift. Now, it may take you a while to earn some trust. Trust and forgiveness are not the same thing. Is where a lot of folks really mess up. God will grant forgiveness right now. And you can even get forgiveness from the one who loves you, but it's going to take a while to rebuild some trust. So we want to believe what the Word says. We want to speak what God's Word says. We want to act as God would have us to act. Okay? Now, third line is not just a redundant statement of the same thing. These are actually the groups of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are three knowing. There are three speaking. There are three doing. I don't think it's a coincidence that God gives us gifts of the Holy Spirit that come along with salvation that will speak to the S issues where you wrestle thoughts so that you can know the thoughts of God. Not only have a copy of the Word of the Lord in in your lap to read His thoughts that are higher than our thoughts, His ways that are higher than our ways, and He reveals them to us through His Scripture so we can start to renew our minds through the Word of God. But in addition to that, I believe that the present reality, the work of the Holy Spirit is in that He who dwells on the inside of you will speak to you on occasion and show you things that you would otherwise not have the ability to know apart from any kind of uh, natural knowledge. Unless someone told you, you wouldn't know it. And so the Holy Spirit leads you and whispers you in your ear, in your spirit, not a literal natural audible voice, but something that you otherwise couldn't have known, you just know down in your knower. Three gifts of knowing are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. I'm going to talk about some of these in just a moment in my testimony. Secondly, three speaking gifts. That's tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Three doing gifts. Faith, workings of miracles, and gifts, plural, of healings, plural. So we have three knowing, three speaking, three doing. Three that deal with our thoughts, three that deal with our words, three that deal with our deeds. Because of the Holy Spirit who is resident in me when I let the residing one become the president. The resident becomes the president. When Jesus is Lord over my life, and I can learn to submit my thoughts to Him and I say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And then out of my mouth, my heart speaks and then I begin to do action. I believe, I speak, I act. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord will empower you supernaturally to do other things that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do in your own strength. That's what, that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. Okay. Now, so... Uh, I just want to say that the people who waste their time trying to convince me that none of that is for today, you, just, you, just, you're, you're, you have spare breath. You, you have spare breath that you're wanting to waste because I know better. Because not only is it grounded in the Word, substantially in truth, but I've experienced it. I know that it's real. Let me tell you a little bit about this. This is my third point this morning, and I'm finished. And I want to take the last 20 minutes here and just share a testimony with you that radically changed my life when I was 13 years old and set me on the course that I've been on. I grew up in church. This is my third point. Everybody say, faith comes by hearing. hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. That's found in Romans 10, 17. We just quoted it. I was 13 years old. I was playing the organ for a big church in Memphis, faith temple. Um, I had been playing in church since I was about nine. actually started playing in big church when I was 10. And growing up with a piano in the house, my family was very musical. So those of you that are visiting this morning, Abby, my daughter, will be leading tonight. And just it's been multiple generations that have come down and sort of poured into her. My grandfather played the fiddle and called the square dances. And then when he got saved, he didn't keep calling the square dances because they thought it was a sin. Unfortunate, you know, that folks in legalism or that hyper holiness movement thought everything was a sin. Um, I remember my mother was, got in trouble because my grandfather was on the deacon board of the Church of God and she was standing outside the fence looking into a public swimming pool. They called it public bathing. I don't know why nobody had soap and a wash rag in there. <laughs> and she was a deacon's daughter and so they called her before the church because this little seven-year-old girl was standing outside wishing she could swim like any other ordinary child was and they were in all that legalism and Mary, Jake's daughter, was out there looking at people public bathing, you know. So that's the kind of legalism that basically came out of my, my heritage and thank the Lord we came out of that and got delivered from a lot of that nonsense. And uh, so, granted, was a musician. Mom Aunt Lucille musicians grew up. So I've grown up around music my whole life. We've sung and just being bounced on the knee and learning to sing the songs of Zion. Abby, I really credited her ability to sing and harmonize because Mary Agnes and Lucille, my mom and my aunt, stood her up by the piano and said, no, come on in here, you're going to sing with us. And they made her, they taught her. Taught her to sing three-part harmony when she was about seven years old. And uh, laid hands on her and prophesied over her and, spoke in tongues over her and anointed her and prayed for her and all of those things, I'm thankful to God for that, touched her. She experienced God in a way that nobody can take it away from her. So I'm 13 years old and they actually start paying me like $5 a service because they wanted me to show up uh, to be able to play for their services over there. And I thought that was just the coolest thing because that's five on Sunday morning and five on Sunday night. That's $10. Wow. I'm 13. That's pretty cool. And I just decided, let me tell you what happened. Uh, we went to a meeting at the Holiday Inn Rivermont over on Riverside Drive. It's a, it's a set of condos now. It was the big Holiday Inn Rivermont there on the Mississippi River. And they had a big FGBMFI, Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. It was a great, big, huge, international gathering of men who owned businesses that were corporate guys and entrepreneurs and company men, all of them who had gotten saved in the charismatic movement and been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this full gospel businessman brought in these guys to give their testimonies during the day in their, in their meetings, and then they would bring in like a really kind of on-fire young, firebrand young preacher to speak. And so I went over there. It was 1973, uh, actually late 73 is when it was, almost 74. And young Ken Copeland, some of you know who Kenneth Copeland is, Ken Copeland was not a household word at this point. Nobody had heard of him. He didn't have a television program. He and Gloria were young, and they had a couple of little kids, Kelly and John Copeland. um, Long story short, he was preaching the message that he called the three Ds of faith, desire, decision, determination. Say those with me, desire, decision, determination. And he was talking about all kinds of things, the desire to pray, You may have a desire, but until you decide that you're going to do it and then follow through and be determined, it never leaves the realm of desire. One thing leads to another. Now, he didn't say that phrase because that didn't come out until like 88 or 87 in the song. But he's talking about how these things are connected in thought, word, and deed. And he, he shares a testimony that happened in his family. And his kids had grown up and they were just really pushing the edge of trusting God and they were memorizing the scripture and just praying together and, and Kelly and John had both seen their parents walk with the Lord and pray for folks and God do miraculous things. And his ministry was growing. He was being pulled on from all segments of the religious and, and churches, church community. And Kelly and John were both just really desperate to have some time alone with mom and dad. And so John and Kelly started talking, saying, what can we do that will get us away from crowds? Because wherever we go, dad knows everybody. Everybody knows him. And he was starting to really emerge as a powerful young leader at the time. And so John says, I know what, we need a boat. We just, we just need a good fishing boat, need a good, bigger than just a John boat, but we want a good boat Let's let's get us a boat so we can get mom and dad out on the boat and we can get away from phones because nobody had a cell phone then. Okay, this is the 70s. And so they talked their dad into going to a boat store and they come out with a brochure and they've picked one out. And they put it on the refrigerator, taped it to the refrigerator, the picture of it, and they'd heard dad preach desire, decision, and determination. And they said, John... Kelly, Mom and Dad, we're trusting God. We want God to give us a boat so we can get out on a boat and get away from all the people for a little while and have some personal family time away from phones, away from ministry demands. Long story short, days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and John and Kelly were faithful. They would walk by the refrigerator, slap that picture and say, in Jesus' name, by faith, that's mine. That's our family's. And they were confessing that that would become theirs. And the the story ends in a beautiful illustration because... Uh, Kenneth Copeland says that somebody actually came up and gave them that exact model. It was about two years old, not a scratch on it. And John and Kelly were just exploding with faith because God answered their prayers. So mom and dad, they didn't buy it. Somebody gave it to them. Nobody had any news about it. Nobody asked for this particular model, but they trusted God and believed for it, and the Lord answered their prayer. And I'm sitting there, I'm 13 years old, listening to Kenneth Copeland preach Desire, Decision, Determination, and I'm hearing about how a 10-year-old girl and a 6-year-old boy trusted God, and the Lord answered their prayer. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I've got a piano, but I, I really feel like there's a call of God in my life to be a musician and to be able to take this to the next level. And I, I need an organ, I, I, and I want a Hammond, and this is, this is what I want. And so uh, guess what I did? I heard Kenneth Copeland preach this, and so I come down here. This was grants at the time. We're sitting in grants, and, and the cash registers were about right over there. And I walked over here to the, to the office supply area of grants, and I picked up one of those label makers, you know, where you had to squeeze it one time for every letter? And I got, I got some uh, color-coordinated strip because my mom had uh, this kind of a... What was the, it was sort of a brownish... It wasn't Harvest Gold. It was kind of a brown. It was 1970s color. All the kitchen appliances were made out of that color. Mom had a great brand-new side-by-side Kenmore, big on one side, little on the other. And I put eight lines of text on it from Mark chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. Have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and doubt not in your heart, but believe those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have them. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And I believe that space, Y-O-U space S-H-A-L-L, and you shall have them. And so I've got eight lines of text. And I had mom and dad take, or mom actually take me over to the fund, P-F-U-N-D was the name of the family name who owned it. And actually John Fund has visited our church, been to, heard me preach, stood over here and looked at the Hammond, the B-3 that I have, and the, the funds signed. It was on Union, about the 1,400 block over there, Union. And I had mom and aunt would still take me. And I walked in and I decided, okay, guess what? I'm going to trust God. I need a Hammond. And so when I first started, I walked in the store and I looked around and I played several of them. I'm a little fat 13-year-old, eighth grader. I'm walking around playing, you know, and some of the salesmen introduced themselves. And so I ended up with a brochure for the T-500. It's a nice little home, spinet organ. It's got a built-in rhythm section and all this cool stuff. Actually, the one that I was looking at had a built-in cassette tape player over here on the right side on that bottom manual. Man, it was like, oh my gosh, super cool. Okay? It was $1,795. Now, folks, let me just tell you, my dad is a little farm manager for NS Garrett & Sons at Proctor. He's a mechanic. Mom is working, I think, thinking she's picking in tall cotton for West Memphis Flower Shop, I think making 6 dollars a quarter an hour. This is 1973, so minimum wage was two something, okay? So she's arranging flowers, making a decent little living for a, for a lower middle class family, okay? Mom's working, dad's working. They're just barely making ends meet. And they're, uh, they're excited that, that their 13-year-old son is on fire for the Lord. But I'm taking this whole concept of faith, and I'm going to trust God. And I believe, bless the Lord, I'm going to speak to this mountain. God's going to give me a hammond because I want to be a musician. I want to advance the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking if he'll give those kids a boat, now I know their daddy's a, a minister and everything, but he'll give them a boat. Surely he'll give me an instrument that I can do something to share gospel music with people. To advance the kingdom, and that's the way I'm thinking. Okay, so I'm thinking. I know that God's not a. Uh, he doesn't. He's not a respecter of persons. If He'll do that for Kelly and John Copeland, He'll do it for Mike Smith. And so I brought a brochure home, and and i already put my labels, eight lines of type of uh, of Mark 11, 22 through twenty four on there, and. You shall have it. And, 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 I, and I couldn't find any tape. And so I went to dad's toolbox and I got some gray duct tape and I d- duct taped a picture of that T500 to the refrigerator and I would slap the refrigerator when I'd go by and I'd say, in Jesus' name, that's mine. Hit the refrigerator, mom would go, yeah, but that's my refrigerator, son. <laughs> she endured it. She let the, 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 the three verses of scripture stay up there in that label maker type. And, and, and long story short, Uh, It was kind of cool because people started finding out that I was trusting God. I guess because I felt like I had to tell everybody about it. Now, if you can imagine what that's like. I'm in the eighth grade. I remember only teacher I remember that year was Sherry McVeigh was my American history teacher. Ms. McVeigh, God bless her. And I remember telling folks, I'd take picture to school, and I had read that brochure, I had memorized it. I knew everything about the, the fact that those tone bars were on there, and, and it was completely transistorized and all of this kind of stuff, and God's going to give me one of these. And the kids would go, yeah, really? You think so? Well, we'll see. Now, you can just imagine the persecution, a little bit of bullying, and some words, but I mean, how I many know oh, God uses that too sometimes? <laughs> in order to strengthen you and make you persevere and and, and somebody found out that I was actually trusting God for this and I'm I'm just going to go ahead and give the name and I'll tell you who it is her name her maiden name was Donnie Comstock she was a teacher in the Marion Public School System and she wasn't in church at the time and she started giving me her tithe she did it one time she gave me one two hundred dollar check way back in 1973 and immediately, God came through for them in a financial breakthrough that was over $1,000. I mean, it was literally within three days. And she said, Okay, I'm in, I'm in, Lord. She got a blessing and she said, I'm in. I'm all in this. I'm going to bless Mike because I'm seeing that the blessing of the Lord's on Mike. And not only Donnie, and I'll tell you who she is, she's married to Marvin Steele, who owns Steele Giltner Tire. That's, that's Marvin's wife, okay? So Donnie started giving her tithe check to me and other people started hearing how Donnie would gotten blessed. It was the coolest thing at 13 years old. I couldn't wait to get home every day because I'd check the mailbox because I had checks coming in the mail as God is my witness. This is a true story. And so I'd go back and visit the, the fun Hammond organ place, and I started thinking, now, you know, this is just a little home spinet thing, and this is probably going to go out of style. I don't really know if I even want that. And I went back to the organ place, and let me show you what I came away with. I said, you know what, I'm playing a full console at church. I need big keyboards, and I want 25 pedals. I want two octaves of pedals and the whole pedal board that, you, you know, kind of dance on and show out if you're, a, you're a, an organ player. It's stored back in the back because we got a baseman on the other side who's the best baseman in the Mid-South over there, Bernie Mac Warren. And uh, so I said, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, Lord, I'm, I'm going to raise my faith. If, if it's going to take you to do this, it's going to take a miracle anyway, then I'm just going to believe God for something better. The T-500 was 1795 This one was 2995 Mama said, son, I don't know where this is going to come from, but it's going to take God because we can't do it. So i I'm, I'm, I got R-100 faith now. Man, I'm just, praise God, I'm, the, the refrigerator picture's been changed. I'm slapping it in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for a new R100. And the money's coming in. Now, I, this honest to God truth. Checks are coming in the mail. The church I was serving took up an offering for me on a Sunday night. Oh, my gosh. My savings account is Up over $1,000, $1,500, growing. It's just, I mean, this is 1974. We're rolling into it, okay? I remember on the way to school one morning, after several months of praying and trusting God, I said, Mom, how long do you think it's going to take before I get my my hammond? And she said, well, son, remember, it took Moses 40 years to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. (laughs) She's driving. I said, gee, thanks, Mom. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. (laughs) so I just kept trusting the Lord. I'm, I'm listening, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I'm listening to jazz musicians and blues guys. I'm listening to old records from A.A. Allen, who was a tent evangelist, and David Davis, who was just a hero of mine, just copied his style. And, and the way we did, did or- music back then was really big church, big organ sound. The way we do it now is a little bit more finessed. And um, so I'm looking, and everything I see. It's not a T-500 on the front of their albums. It's, cert- it's not an R-100. It's this thing called a B-3. And I thought, well, you know, I just said, I believe God's going to give me faith to get this, and it started coming in. And, and I've already grown past T500 faith into R100 faith. I think I need to go back and just see how much it's going to cost to actually get a B3. If, I, if it's going to take God to do it for me, I'm just going to go ahead and believe for the top of the line. And so I went back to the store, to the Hammond dealer, and they said, Oh, hey, Mike, what, what you looking at today? I wore them out. They set me down with a manager this time. I think they were tired of me coming. And so they set me down with a manager and he handed me a B3 and a Leslie. Go ahead and put that picture up. That's it right there. They put the picture up and the organ itself was $4,600 and the tone cabinet sitting beside it was another $1,200. And so we're talking $5,800. Now, guys, just the year before, my mom and dad had just gotten a brand new 19. 19- 72, 88 Ozemobile from Jim Ellis Olds down there at Broadway and 18th Street. And the sticker, the brand new sticker on it was $5,297. So this cost more than the family car we were riding in. And I knew that this is what I was supposed to have. It's like my faith finally emerged and it grew. And I'm 13 and, and, and I'm starting to put biblical ideas into action and I'm fasting and praying and I'm seeking the Lord. And, and for, for months I had been checking the commercial appeal and the want ads. When I left when I left the, the, the Hammond dealership that day and walked outside, Mom and Aunt Lucille had stayed in the car because they had been enough times that I think they were embarrassed to go back in. So they said, we'll just stay out here. Take your time. We'll be here when you come out. So I came out with the new brochures for the refrigerator to slap in the name of Jesus. And the, 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 the dollar sign and the 5800 on top. And they could see that I was crestfallen going, this is ridiculous. I don't know how God is going to do this. And we're I get in the back seat of Aunt Lucille's 98 Osmobile. And she sees that I'm discouraged. And I said, a new one is going to cost $5,800. And Mother said, honey, it'll have to be God. Aunt Lucille put it in park and she turned around and pointed at me. And she said, Michael, and I remember right now seeing it in her eye because she, she was an intercessor. She was a prayer warrior. God whispered things into her ear. She looked at me and pointed, and she said, God's got yours sitting out here somewhere, and we're going to find it when it's the right time. And I kind of perked up because I knew I'd heard the voice of the Lord speak through a little 50-something aunt. And so we left and we went home and I let my faith keep growing and I would open the Bible and I would memorize Scripture and I would say, God, my heart is for you. I know the hand of the Lord is on my life. I know you've called me. I know, always thinking I would never ever come back to West Memphis. I said, God, you're going to deliver me from here and I'm going to go somewhere else. Not here. And the Lord caused faith to continue to grow in my heart. And April the 11th, 1975. It's a Friday afternoon. I'm in the eighth grade. It's almost finished, and I'm on the third day of a three-day fast. I've not drunk anything. I've not had anything except drinking water. I've eaten no food, and I'm praying and I'm fasting. I hung around the band room a little bit later that afternoon, just to hang around with some friends that was in the band with, and um, I was walking home by myself. I'm coming down the sidewalk down Reading, and I'm praying in the Spirit and something just came over me. And I began to sense the presence of the Lord just like I do right now and remembering how it happened. And I crossed the yard. I, 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 did a, I did a kind of a catty corner walk across the yard at Redding and South Worthington. And as soon as I stepped onto that grass and started walking through, I heard something come up out of my spirit. And I knew it was the Lord because I had learned to quiet myself and let his voice, the still small voice, speak to me from in here. And I heard him say, you'll have your organ within hours. I stopped because I knew that I'd heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. He said, you'll have your organ within hours. And when I realized what I'd just heard, I bolted. I was like a sprinter all the way, little fat boy just running as fast as he could. Couldn't wait till I got home and couldn't wait till mom got home because it was Friday and I knew that we were going to Big Star. We were gonna go buy groceries, and I was gonna go down there where they had two newspaper stands, a commercial appeal in the Memphis Press Cemetery, right down there where you have the rental center and pay less shoes on, on Missouri, right now. That was Big Star. And we got out of the car and mom went in to buy groceries. And all of these months, I had never bought anything but a, but a commercial appeal. And that day, I really just didn't hear a voice. I just felt prompted to buy the Memphis Pressimeter. And so I put in 15 cents and got out the Friday edition of the Memphis Pressimeter. For months, I had been looking. I had been looking, trying to find a Hammond B3 and a Leslie 122. And you couldn't find them because they are the industry standard. You turn on Letterman and you see Paul Schaefer's whole keyboard deck is built around this with the center instrument. You turn on The Tonight Show. You turn on Good Morning America, The Today Show. You go to John Mayer. You, you, you go to country concerts. You go to jazz. You go to blues. You go to the Rumboogie Cafe on Beale Street, and there's a B3 sitting there. It is the industry standard. It's the top of the line. Uh, every black church in the country wants one. If it goes on in the paper, they're going to grab it up as quick as they can because you can't really have, you, you, you can't have you some church unless you've got this sound right here. And so every time you try to find one, they're not there. And I called. Let me, don't, don't get ahead of myself because I'm trying to finish and I'm at 12 o'clock. Help me, Holy Spirit. Let me get this in five. This is what happened. I ran in the store. Mama, where are you? Get them pickles and let's go home. <laughs> Check these groceries out. Let's go home. Can I call, Mama? Can I call? Can I call? She says, well, I guess we can see what, what it's about. And so, you know, there was no cell phone. I had to go home and take it off the wall and dial that thing around. <laughs> and so I'm calling this Memphis number and it's Mr. Jim Barnett from Frazier and he tells me the story about this new Hammond that his son had bought nine months ago. It happened to be exactly the same time when I started believing God for a new organ. It's crazy coincidences here. If you believe in coincidences, I don't. And... and <laughs> Anyway, he says, well, my son had a factory job and he has a brand new 73 Grand Prix and he bought a brand new 73, or actually 74, beginning of the year, Hammond B3, and he's got to get rid of one or the other. I said, okay, that's, that's interesting. He said, how much will you give me for it? Now, I'm a 13-year-old kid, Okay. <laughs> This is not mama on the phone negotiating. This is not daddy saying, son, tell him this or that, because daddy didn't know anything about musical instruments. Now, he can build a tractor, but he didn't know anything about this stuff. So, oh, that's it right there. You sat in the groove for me right there. That's what I knew. Mean. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Haley's going, my, my, my children, are they're, they're on climbing the walls. Let these teachers out. Finish this message. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, hang on. And I covered the mouthpiece, and I prayed in the spirit. I said, God, I ask you, you said I'd have my organ within hours, and if this is mine, you tell me what I'm supposed to pay for this thing. And the first number that popped into my head was $2,700. I said, that's crazy. Because it fifty eight hundred dollars okay I said uh... Mr. Burnett and my voice is shaking I said I'll give you twenty seven hundred dollars and the most pregnant pause that lasted at least for a couple of weeks (laughs) he said okay I said okay what (laughs) he said okay I'll take it Saturday morning we got up we drove to Frazier I sit down the B3 and rock the house, knock the walls out, we have church for about 20 minutes. And I said, we'll take it. He said, meet me at Union Planners Bank on the corner of Union and Cleveland in Memphis on Monday. On April the 14th, it was my daddy's birthday, 1975, this happened 40 years ago this year. And we sat down, mom and dad and myself, mom checked me out of school, Mr. Barnett showed up, had his payment book and he had called ahead. The loan, the loan lady says, Mr. Barnett, you're here to take care of this loan. Yes, well, these people are buying this musical instrument. We're going we're to pay it off. And so she pulls out the loan papers and she said, Mr. Barnett, you owe $2,709.12. My jaw dropped. And he wrote a check for $9.12. And my mama wrote this check right here. You can see it on the screen. Don't tell me that God doesn't know the details about your life and what you need. Don't tell me that he can't connect a guy who needs to sell an organ and a kid who needs to buy one. Don't tell me he doesn't know how to whisper into the ear of a 13-year-old and tell him to pay $2,700 and make the man who owes $9.12 more agreeable to it. Now, you know what? You can argue for the rest of the day and the rest of your life that God doesn't do that kind of stuff and I just say, hey, that's okay. Let me just, let me just tell you about my Jesus. Right. You know what this is? You know, what? You, know, you know why this is in the front of my Bible? Because it's moved out of every Bible that I wear out. I, I very carefully take a pen knife and take the tape from around it and it goes into the next new Bible that I have when this one gets worn out. Because when... When... When I get discouraged and when I'm when I had Hades beat out of me, because of the crap that's coming against me, because of because of my own, thought battles because of the the stuff that the enemy is sending against this church to attack the families of this church, and I'm standing in intercession for you, and I'm not at my best. I'm struggling sometimes just to keep my nose above the water to breathe. When I am at the point of getting discouraged, I go back to this because it's an Ebenezer stone for me. It reminds me that when I was a stupid, fat 13-year-old that God cared enough to talk to me. And he gave you the grace to hear him when he spoke. What what am I trying to say to you this morning? This stuff works. It works because God is real and God is alive and he's intricately interested in the details of your life and the junk that you're going through. Maybe somebody in this room this morning has been affected by the exposure of this Ashley Madison scenario maybe brokenness and repentance is the attitude in your house or maybe a friend or a relative let me just remind you please 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 let's not wag the bony finger of pharisaism and remember that every one of us names were written on the website in hell and Jesus he sneaked in he died the devil thought he was beaten he'd beaten him he'd taken him down he killed him and Jesus actually very furtively hacked into the motherboard of hell. And he ripped all those names out and he said, No, these are not yours. I've bought them by my own blood. <laughs> and so this morning, whatever your struggle is, whatever your face, and I know I'm over again. I tried. I cut stuff. Haley, I tried. I truly did try. <laughs> I, I cut out a whole segment. I want you to know that whatever you need, Jesus is here today to give you a fresh start.